0: Hello everyone and welcome back to this is not a history lecture and today we're joining you live from Kat's living room as always just like every other week if you've made it this far you've gone farther than my family (laughs) shout out to my mom who still listens to our episodes my mom I think listened to one and the rest of my family hasn't listened to any my mom called me after she listened to the last episode she was like you got you pronounced that poor teacher's name wrong (laughs) she was like her name was Chrissy McCullough and I was like okay mom (laughs) pronunciations are the one thing I I can't yeah she was like y'all got the name right you just said it wrong and I was like okay sorry (laughs) mea culpa that's (sighs) on us yep anyway Kat how has your day been today my day was good um this weekend was crazy busy at the house so like yeah I was on hm usually we get like an intermittent throughout the day. No, I was straight up and I Ugh. wear heels because it's usually I have a break between tours, yeah, so you're but not no all day long. straight up five hours oh in heels yesterday. I was ready to scream. I almost <sighs> contemplated going barefoot towards the end of the day and I was like, no, that's too unprofessional. I can't yeah, That's like when you keep a pair of shoes in your car, yeah well. They're not high heels. I can wear them usually for two hours without getting, mm-hmm. without them hurting. But it was like hour three or four. And then I came home Ooh. and I had ballet practice right after. Oh, so I went and put on point shoes. And I was like, like my toenails like like cut the skin on my <laughs> other toes. They were so pinched by the end of it. And I was like, I was supposed to cut my toenails before I went to dance. And then it all just slipped. And oh, it was painful. But today, Ooh, I thought it would be slower. And it yeah. wasn't. So my feet oh. don't hurt. It was a shorter shift. But like. But my throat is a little gone because it's straight up. I talked for like four hours. Oh my god, so I'm sorry. It's if I like am not quite as vocal as usual, talking like back and forth, and I'm making non committal, like hmm, sounds. That's why <laughs> she's like, Please don't make me talk for another two hours. Yeah. Um, well, but how are I'm you? Sorry, and you get to work collections for the next two days, so you won't have to talk to anyone mm. except for the I'm not it kind of makes that. me sad, though. Except for, like, the ghosts that haunt the collection <laughs> stuff. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I like working with people. I get very lonely working collections. I, yeah. That's why I'm starting to think it might not be the long-term job for me. Yeah. I feel like unless you're really dedicated to it, it's very much a temporary. Yeah. I could work collections for, like, six months. I could not do it for yeah. a permanent career and i've never even worked collections before well i can see myself doing like an antiques roadshow type thing where i get to be around people and their objects but when it's just the objects it's too isolating for me yeah it's it's really boring which is sad because i love objects i love collections that's like one of the coolest parts of the museum is getting to go back mm -hmm. and like look at all that stuff yeah but they don't let like i don't know museums are very productive over their collections yeah warranted most of the Mm -hmm. time but um yeah. yeah, it's a rough job, but yeah. if that's for you, if you never want to talk to anyone, become a collections manager. Yeah, if you like desk work and, like, procedure, that's mm-hmm. what it is. There's not a whole lot of room for creative thinking. You follow a lot of procedure, and yeah. I am a very creative, expansive thinker. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I need to do, like, figure problem solving and yeah. stuff. No, that's that's really fair. Um, like yeah. I said, I could do it for maybe six months, yeah. you know, as a temp. I could I would I would do a temp position as a collection person, but not Yeah. <sighs> anyway. Well, yeah, I mean I've also had a very busy weekend. Yeah. Um, I'm sure. The museum that we both work at had a free day yesterday. So it Ooh. was a community day. So it was busy. I'm sure. It was so busy. And listen, we just reopened like the kid area. Oh, yeah. And like it toddler. has a grocery store. Mm. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And that means last words <laughs> it's so bad if i hear oh grocery my store god. and children's museum i, I picture... automatically know no, i took a picture um yesterday of how bad it was uh at one point at one point i'll show Kat the picture but i'll just describe it everything what looked like almost every single piece of food from the grocery store had been taken oh out. my god <laughs> I feel like a child just walked down the row with her arm out and knocked it all under the <laughs> yeah, floor. And had been like, this is, this is like right outside of the grocery store, but they for sure got like just carts of <laughs> the fake food and just dumped it in one location. And I was like, oh my God. That's rough. But good news. Our friend who closed, she said that a mom was in there uh making all the kids pick everything up and put it back we do appreciate that that is amazing and i can guarantee you that woman's a teacher because (laughs) no other person can control kids like that um but shout out to that lady whoever you are yeah because it's rough closing that room by yourself Sure. (sighs) anyway but yeah cool it was a lot slower today so that's that's good. good um yeah nice well, nice. I did want to note you mentioned a new nursery the next week. I need to get a new pot. My Baltic ivy is dying because the root system has gotten too big and uh, it can't hold water. So yeah. whenever you want to go, let's go. I don't know when it closes. It in the afternoon. If we could go it one closes day after. For oh, that's gonna make it tricky. <laughs> that's like we'll right find when you're out of work. Yeah, we'll find it today. We'll figure it out. Maybe Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I work. Oh, that's right. I'm working seven days a week right now. <sighs> oh. Well, maybe we'll, we'll get off early on a Friday or something. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about it. Okay. Kat and I are going to get dinner after this, so we have lots We're of time to food. chat. <laughs> yes. Excited. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, should we just yeah, go Yeah, let's on jump on in. Let's get into it. I'm excited. Okay. I also have completely forgotten what you're doing. Good. You mentioned earlier that it was about Nazis, so. <laughs> I know my mama liked this episode. She likes Nazis. Not in the weird way. No, in the proper way. and in, in, in the... the- <laughs> There's no proper way to like Nazis. She's interested in Nazi history. the history. Yeah. In World War II history. Learning from history's mistakes. Exactly. There we go. Yes. My mother is not a Nazi. I'm sorry. Okay. Sorry, Mom. This is a, this is anecdote going into this. I was once, um. A Nazi. Oh, no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kat, I just would like to make it clear that Kat has not now and has never been a Nazi. But I have to the Thank you for the, the disclaimer. Joke. You laid it out. I did. Who I would I be? I would be for remiss you. if yes, I didn't make that joke. <laughs> I, I was like finishing my, I was towards the end of my undergrad and I returned home to like see some friends. And there was this one lady who's always, uh, there's a type of person in Southern Texas that, um, mm-hmm. He's a little more interested in this type of history than Than they they should should be. Be. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was sitting at the table and we were like, it was, I was with his mother, like, because she worked with us. So it was like his mom and all the old coworkers from where I used to work, we were getting Mm -hmm. dinner. And she was like, oh yeah, you're doing your, your, your specialties, like the holocaust and like nazi germany i was like well kind of but i do know a lot about you know that yeah and she's like you should talk to my son he loves that oh stuff and i was like told about no oh, and i knew the no. like, way she said he loves that stuff i was like there's two oh. kinds of people that study nazi history and you don't have to be like into it like an like self-proclaimed nazi to be a little too into it in the absolutely. wrong way absolutely yeah it was it made me cringe the way she was like you should really talk to my son about that and i was oh. like i will not be Yikes unless it is to teach him the proper way to view this as history we can learn from um Ugh. we will not be having discussions about nazi germany listen i heard of a few people from frisco being connected to the Capitol riots so oh my gosh yes yeah no. there, there's it, people from houston too and it's just lots like, of ongoing jokes about the people who like chartered a plane oh, and like uh no. anyway so that was that one like It was the realtor lady, right? (gasps) She was from Fresco. I remember that. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Yikes. (laughs) So that's my anecdote going into this. I study it to learn from it, and because I think that the, like, brainwashing and, like... Yeah, that's what my mom likes. It's it's the... She's just, like, it's so fascinating how much of a control...
1: Yeah, that's yeah. what's
0: the psychological uh-huh. like indoctrination of this. That's why I like like studying cults too, which is really yeah. weird. But yeah. no, well, my mom's into that stuff too. Yeah, makes sense. Anyway, so yeah. Anyway, um, I just like I am discussing. Sex work. <laughs> anyway, sorry. We, we I, must not I, dive psychologically into that. <laughs> listen i have been asked more than one time yeah. why do you like this kind of history and she's and, like i don't know i don't know, I I don't do. know. it's kind of cool i guess <laughs> it's the forbidden fruit of what we're taught like they you know really what i don't teach it and then yeah. you have to like seek it out on your own that's true and you know what i really think well one i very thoroughly enjoy how weird the victorians were because they were yes. just like weirdos yes two i genuinely think it has a lot to do with video games <laughs> Because whenever there's, like, a brothel in a video game, oh my they make it, like, the most aesthetically pleasing place <laughs> wherever you visit in that video game. And I think that, to me, I'm, like, I just made this, like, connection in my subconscious. Yes, that's how it really was in history. Like, Which, of course, like, it's n- no, but, like also, 99% yes. of brothels in history were not, no. like, the luxurious red velvet that we picture from video no. games. But... But still cool. Yeah, but still cool. And yeah. I can just maybe imagine it, even though I know that's not true. But yeah. there were some very high-class ladies of the night. Mm-hmm. And there I don't know. Okay. I'll stop talking about it.
1: There Let's you go. go, Kat.
0: What, okay. have, what have you got for us today? Operation Valkyrie. Valkyrie. Now, all I know about this is that I was forced to watch a movie with Tom Cruise in it once mm-hmm. about this. So you'll have to refresh my memory. Okay general overview we are looking at a failed attempt to assassinate Hitler and I Mm -hmm. chose this topic because it's called the 20th of July plot which will be I think the day this episode drops Uh very timely mine is also pretty timely Mm -hmm. too yeah I I remember Mm -hmm. like looking at the today in history list ahead for today and it said Operation Valkyrie and I was like yes (gasps) I know what I'm doing up on the anniversary yep so like I said it's also called the 20th of July plot Um, I've heard it also once called the Stauffenberg plot, but like only once, which is the name of the guy Hmm. who planned the, like was heading the assassination effort. Um, so let's start with him. Yes. General Klaus Schenk Graf von Stauffenberg. That's not German. (laughs) (laughs) Um, he was a German Arnold colonel and he was actually a bit of an aristocrat too. He like came from money. He was a nationalist. So like, not a great guy, but like. You know, he supported Hitler at first in the invasion of Poland at the beginning of the war. He was like, "Yeah, they're they're just waiting for someone to take them over and take the land and lead them." And he, it was not the poor Polish people. I, I know, God, yeah. <laughs> he was never like a confirmed, true member of the Nazi party. Um, mm-hmm. But that doesn't make it much better. Like, no, you still, you're still an invading asshole. Um, still not a great guy. Yeah, at least he wasn't a Nazi. Confir- yeah, Confir- confirmed Nazi. Yeah, Confirm Nazi. yeah. Well, that's the hard part. Like. Like, you're talking about that whole, the bystander effect, plus the psychological, like, Mm -hmm. it's mm, so fascinating. Um, So, he, much like, well, I'm so sorry, guys. Take your time. Take your time. He, like many other people, I promise this is going to get better as I go through my thing once I warm up, (laughs) um, thought that killing Hitler was pretty much the only way to save Germany. The plot also involved people like general friedrich albrecht and general ludwig beck the resistance against hitler like there had been a growing resistance for years of against the nazis against hitler but the people in hitler's own circles that didn't support him was relatively small so they could go kind of unnoticed like flying under the radar Mm -hmm. still being near to the nazi party in the action but not attracting attention to themselves. Yeah. So what's interesting is that they've this like resistance had planned out over forty assassination attempts of Hitler. I was gonna say and they one, all failed. Didn't he like it was kind of like rasputin in that way. I like, <laughs> they couldn't kill him. Like they they, they, tried. Him. they tried. They tried so many times and It's arguable, but Operation Valkyrie is probably the closest they got to succeeding. Okay. I think I have heard about about that this. Yeah. It took years of planning, and Mm -hmm. it just didn't work, which is very... I... Some... It's (laughs) interesting. Some historians argue that if it had worked, killing Hitler, and then... Because the explosion, this bomb, was supposed to kill Hitler, Goering, and... Himmler and like the high up Nazis, so that yeah. no one could just be like, I am obviously the successor, mm-hmm. I will take over, etc., etc. So, a lot of people argue that if they had been successful and killed all those high ranking members of the Nazi party, like it would have basically made Germany so much more mad, so much more up in arms that it would have drawn mm-hmm. out the war even longer. It would have made them like martyrs, you know? Yeah, I, I get that. But then, It's argued. Some people say that if it had gone through, we could have ended the war way earlier. I know. And it's weird because we're taught them so intrinsically. But, like, World War II and the Holocaust are two separate things. Yes. Oh, yes. And so it's kind of like the war is one thing. The effects on the war would have been drawn out. But would the Holocaust have been over? You know what? That's my question. Well, a lot of the people that were running the concentration camps, like, they they were – with hitler but also separate from hitler like yeah. you're saying they're two mm-hmm. events happening at the same time intrinsically linked yeah. but they are not the same event yes um yeah so like you're saying yeah it, it that's why i guess that would be think, my question. more so is would the war have gone on longer would be would the holocaust part have been over yeah. you know i, what I, I mean? don't think it would have ended yeah. because hitler had i mean his followers were some of the people in charge of those efforts were so dead set on the purification of race that they were like yeah so it's argued whether if this had worked it would have been good or bad yeah Um, no and that's the case we can't know it's so much of history is that way you you can you can gamble Mm -hmm. you can uh suspect but it's like the butterfly effect if you've seen loki it's like the (laughs) tba like you know some things in history Like, you wonder, if it hadn't happened, would something worse have happened, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, No, and that's very true. Like, what would the world look like without Hitler? We don't know. It could be... Killing him nine months earlier or something, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Originally, ironically, the Operation Valkyrie plan existed because of Hitler. Oh. Like... Before the resistance used it to target Hitler, Hitler himself wrote out this idea in case his SS revolted. He was like, I want to be able to overthrow them and like protect Germany. So Hitler had his own version of Operation Valkyrie planned. Stauffenberg just decided to use it against Hitler instead. The first original version that Hitler had was supposed to be able to bring military defenses together quickly in case there's an attack on German territory. And if this new theory was going to work... Um, other people like Ulbricht were going to be the ones that actually launched Valkyrie if okay. Hitler had been killed. So they had people like spaced out over different areas ready to, I mean, it wasn't just Stauffenberg. He had all these mm-hmm. people in the resistance working with him. Like he would like Stauffenberg would kill him. Someone else would set it in motion. Ulbricht would mm-hmm. be the one to actually make the call. Like, so yeah, it's a very cog network like lots of cogs working together um Mm -hmm. and all of these main conspirators had this functional role some of them were even told like jam like make sure that they can't communicate between the military make sure you're like intercept not intercepting the transmissions but like muddling them and making it hard for them Mm -hmm. to understand and like you were talking about the war it's hard to guess what would have happened especially because right before this the war is taking a huge turn it's 1944 it's towards the end of the war yeah. um the world is ravaged like land oh, is destroyed yeah. there's no coming back at this point point. and mm-hmm. some of the german the damage officers done. yeah 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 a lot of the german officers have begun to think that they you know like we can't win this yeah no matter how you're gonna slice it we can't win this well too because it's like i mean you know any war that just destroys as intensely as that war mm-hmm. did it's like what is there left to win you right know? Like what and are you gonna like the the civilians left there on the burnt out yeah, land that can't be that fought, hate like, you because yeah. you killed half of their population yeah and destroyed their hometown like yeah you're not even if they did win they wouldn't have held on well and then for there's long. stuff going on too like no one's going to forgive each other no one's going yeah. to come to a true peaceful treaty because the origin origins of World War Two mm-hmm. are Germany getting slapped with all the issues from World War One yeah. Unfairly and mm-hmm. creating this, this like, like narrative that yeah, the Jews it's like are the victimhood. issue. This and they blame mm-hmm. it all on the Jews and the like. Yeah, the political parties and it creates this whole mess. So no one's coming out of this clean. Yeah, and this is also like soon after the firebombing of Hamburg and like a bunch of other stuff. And if you don't know what firebombing is or carpet bombing, like it just decimates. It is like if you read. If you go looking, just be warned. <laughs> it's got extremely graphic firsthand accounts. But, like, yeah. it, basically what you do is burn a whole city alive mm-hmm. and, like, bake the inhabitants alive. Mm-hmm. Like, you just... It's it's horrendous. It's awful. Yeah. You create literally a fire tornado. Yeah. Um, if you aren't burned alive, you yeah. choke on the heat and die. Yeah, you're not meant to come out of that. Yeah. And so they had no care for civilian. Yeah. yeah. And that's from both sides. You mm-hmm. know, like the allies were doing that to germany that germany was doing that like so there's no forgiveness left here there's no salvaging relations Mm -hmm. but there is there are the select members of the german army and higher even nazi leaders who are like we have to stop we're going to lose everything we have left the little we have left we're Mm -hmm. going to lose it if we don't stop and they're they see hitler as the one leading him into this Bad to worse situation. Yeah. And Hitler's also decided to lead a war on two fronts, which is a suicide mission, because the Soviet Union just keeps throwing more and more troops and tanks and planes at them, forcing them back into Poland, and people are realizing, hey, maybe we shouldn't be fighting a two-front war, and we shouldn't be doing this against the frickin' Russians, because... russia who has, who has gone up against the russian and, and won that's the thing that always cracked me up about hitler because he like was like oh i want to be like napoleon i want to take over the world but guess who <laughs> i guess who else guess who it? fought russia in the winter and <laughs> was very very poor like roughly defeated napoleon mm. and guess who napoleon took after freaking alexander the great <laughs> and guess who also tried to freaking attack russia in the winter Alexander, Alexander the great. great, and so I'm just like you people. You literally can't learn. I just, yeah. Anyway, that's why we learn history, people. So we you know folks. not to do that shit. So we know not to go after Russia in yeah. the winter. They listen. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I'm like, how stupid for like I think anyone can admit that Hitler was like incredibly intelligent. Yeah, he was. He was incredibly. Objectively. If you're going to talk about leadership mm-hmm. qualities. Incredibly effective. I don't want to say yeah. good, but incredibly effective, effective. leader. Yeah, because I don't like when people say he was a good leader. He was a leader. good leader. I'm like, no, 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 no. like implies, that word. Because yeah. good has a connotation of morality, mm-hmm. and he does not. Yeah, exactly. And so that's why I am I look at him. I'm like, dude, like, you were effective literally... in so many ways. But who decided? <laughs> you had two other people that you supposedly looked up to. And to be fair, Hitler intended to get into Russia before the winter started. But... but did he So did Napoleon. So did Napoleon. Napoleon. <laughs> and, and I'm like y'all are stupid. You deserve to lose. <laughs> well, come on now. Uh, yeah. So also if you know anything about Russia and all those like jokes about insane like Russian army members like you just yeah. like power through anything. They're not kidding. No. Like it's insane. I know. Um it's a different breed over there. And they well they're just like I don't I can't even comprehend like being I in Russia and this guy comes at you with, like, an axe and you're just like, what do I do? In Soviet Russia? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So on the other side of that, the Allies have just made their way across the English Channel on D-Day, giving them some ability to push back into France and send in supplies mm-hmm. and prepare to move across Western Europe. We also should know that the Allied air forces are bombing the living daylights out of Germany. Um, Americans mm-hmm. are taking turns in the day, and the Brits are hitting them at night. Like oh, Germany's geez. just can't catch a break, and um, you know I, it's so hard because it's like, yeah, they're civilians, but you know that like they probably were also like, we hate the Jews! <laughs> the like the Jewish sentiment part was not... It's like, you don't want to kill civilians, especially when you know yeah. how brainwashed they are, but that yeah, also doesn't exactly. forgive the fact that most of them, mm-hmm. not most, some of them knew what was going on and didn't yeah. do anything about yeah. it. Um, Ugh, complicated. But that's why we have the Geneva Accords now and the yep. Geneva Accords convention. I, I literally just combined the Marvel uh, Accords mm-hmm. <laughs> You mean the fictional <laughs> yes! accords from the Marvel Universe? Yes, I did. My brain just did not work for a second there. You know, if you didn't just tell me that you were working all day, I would have thought you were just sitting here watching Marvel movies which is much as much as you've mentioned not. this. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so, now targeting civilian um, populations is a war crime. Yeah. <clears throat> so are a lot of things. So are a lot of things that people are still doing, including specific specific people and and specifically
1: <laughs> i can't hold it together today i'm so sorry guys. yeah we're sorry Oh um,
0: my god. for once we had a, both had a tired but good day at work and so like right. it's it's rare that we both come out of this alive i know we were like oh should we record this in the morning? morning and i was like no because we have to keep our energy up yeah afterwards what we did yeah. um so there are some people um like this guy named treskow who had actually denounced the Nazi regime well before the war started, around the time that the Nuremberg race laws had been passed. He was one of people that actively opposed him even more after he found out about the genocide of Jews that was going on. And after that, he was like, yeah, I'm going to dedicate myself to assassinating Hitler. Which, <laughs> not, bad props, man. Not like, a bad not a bad goal. Mm-hmm. Not a bad life goal. Yeah. And that's not to say that all the people on the plot were good either. Some of them had joined mm-hmm. the pot, plot against Hitler just because... They didn't like what he was doing as their player, leader. Yeah. exactly. And he had... A lot of them committed awful war crimes on their own, like Edward Wagner, who gave... He was, like, going to fly Stauffenberg in the plane for his escape once he bombed... Since he set off the bomb and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was, like actively mass murdering and killing jews which is not okay so you can see motivations for this were very mixed a lot of it was political Mm -hmm. a lot of it was military a lot of it was personal it's Um, just like i think this is a great story to show how blurry history can be yeah and how weirdly enough people who hate each other and don't even fight for the same ideals can end up working together yeah it's like it's like um military you can see it certain militaries like working oh, yeah. with other like well um, even just like between world war one and world war two who the allies were with yeah. each other who was allied with each other like mm-hmm. well it makes me laugh because yeah. like france and america weren't necessarily the best of pals but <laughs> no. when it came to in like the war when they were like hey can you like help us f up the british France's like yeah i got you man yeah, no problem <laughs> that's the one thing everyone hates the british <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then france. we can all play nice but I sh- everyone's deep down hates yeah. the british <laughs> well we should acknowledge that we also screwed over france because they came looking for Absolutely. help in their revolution a few Absolutely years later they and did we or we did hacking. yep <laughs> so ooh, yikes anyway not great um anyways so the higher up members and shakers decide we're going to use a bomb We're going to do this to hand power back over to people um, that they saw competent enough Mm -hmm. to salvage what was left of Germany. Some of them thought it might even save a little bit of honor for Germany. Like what little honor they had left in the eyes of the rest rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of them just didn't want to have to do like some horrible, embarrassing military surrender. They knew they'd have to probably Mm. negotiate terms, but they didn't want to have to like actually have that like white flag surrender. Yeah. So, the plan is to kill Hitler and pass the assassination attempt off as an attempted coup by the Nazi Party, huh? And be like, "Oh, look what the Nazis did to their own leader." Then pull the Reserve Army in to take power and get rid of what was left of the Nazi Party. Like blame okay. the Nazis for killing their leader, so they can so they can get rid kill of them. the Nazis and be okay. like, "This was a coup. We don't stand for this. Yeah. Kill all the Nazis." And Not then, a bad plan. Yeah, yeah. In theory, in theory, um, <laughs> yeah, I see. I see the logic. In that. Yeah, yeah, and this would get rid of. It would kill two burns with one stone. Uh-huh. One bomb to kill Hitler, and then everyone else would kill the Nazis. Mm-hmm. So this, in theory, would allow them to establish a new government and a new chancellor as well as a president, because Hitler was functioning as all of that at the moment. Yeah. Um, the plan, the bomb would also need to kill, like I said, Heinrich Himmler and like Goring and these people who were the head of the SS that would be the successors so that there's no question. No one can take over for Hitler. We've got to just start Start from scratch. Um, They're working under the assumption that this meeting is going to take place in a bunker. Uh, They knew where the meeting itself was going to be, but it's this like underground bunker where they had met before is Concrete room, no windows and metal doors, meaning that the blast itself would be contained in the room and anyone near the actual explosive would be killed immediately by mm. the bomb and the uh, shrapnel. Okay. And Makes again, sense. I'm not a physics person. We know this. Um, so if you're a bomb tech expert, I apologize. Um, <laughs> How many people we have to apologize for uh, the, episode two? You know, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, listen, we like history, and, and that's really it. Uh, yeah. I mean, we like I other like, things, I don't like but physics. we only know about history. Yeah. Um, so they have the mechanics of the explosion pretty planned out you know they feel good about it Uh um they had two attempts like stauffenberg in the weeks leading up to this had like been ready to do it twice but the first time there the other nazi leaders weren't there and he was like Mm. well i can't take out hitler and not the others and the next one no one's quite sure why he stalled they think he couldn't excuse himself in time to like set the bomb and go um but this meeting is for pretty much all the senior Nazi military members in Eastern Prussia, which is modern day Poland Mm -hmm. um, at a location called the Wolf's Lair, which is like a military headquarters. There's going to be more than 20 German officers and staff there. And Hitler's going to be at this meeting. It's a good time to note that people have been trying to kill Hitler for a hot minute. Like those other 40 attempts. And it's made him a little paranoid. So, and these had come from his own military before, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, like, Uh Civilian-motivated, moral-motivated, military-motivated. So Hitler's, like, super on edge, and he's paranoid, as he probably should be. Yeah. Um, And he had a habit, because of this, of changing plans last minute or not warning people that he made changes to his plans Mm -hmm. so that he wasn't as predictable, you know? Yeah. His security team was also super on edge and vigilant because, like, towards the end, apparently, he had, like, food tasters and stuff. He was so paranoid. Um, Which, rightfully so. When you're an yeah. asshole. I mean, honestly, it's like, mm, everyone wanted to, wanted to kill him, and he knew it. I know, and if everyone wants to kill you, you might think you're doing something wrong. Right? Let's take a minute to self-reflect. Yeah. Hitler. <laughs> really, though. <laughs> so, um, what throws off the plan isn't Hitler himself, necessarily. The people planning the meeting realize, wow, it's going to be a nice and toasty day here in beautiful Prush, East Prussia, Poland, future, whatever. Um, <laughs> and they decide... To have everyone meet in a different bunker. This one's above ground to get better air circulation, and it's wood and fiberglass and stuff instead of metal and concrete. Okay. It uh, also has windows in it, along with more furniture. And as we've established, not a physics... I almost said a physician. Um, definitely not a physician. You know what? Not a you physicist. Would have said that, and I would have not corrected you. You know what? That's good to hear. Um, So... Apparently from what I was reading up on this, basically the furniture itself becomes a problem because it doesn't just act like shrapnel, it also absorbs some of the energy from the blast. I mean, mm. when if you in movies, people will like duck behind a thick wood table or something like yeah. that, or a desk to, you know, curl up from mm-hmm. a bomb or something. Um and we also know that when you have, like, windows, it shapes the blast differently. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, again, it releases energy. Um, and it doesn't kind of almost, I don't want to say ricochet around the room, but it dissipates. Yeah, well, it has an exit. Yeah. Yeah, the energy has somewhere to go. Yeah. Through the windows. Yeah. Exactly. There mm-hmm. you go. Thanks, yeah. my girl. Um,
1: so South- I just watched a
0: lot of Mythbusters as a child. It's <laughs> hey, your dream job. I know. Hey, if anyone's in contact with adam savage yeah please Kayleigh let me really know that to. i adore him <laughs> yeah they could be guests on our podcast Do you know that like, they don't like each other i've heard that i didn't know that, that was yeah real. no well i don't think they don't like each other i just think it was like a purely working relationship oh which is hilarious because they're like all buddy buddy i know on the show, on the show they're like Besties. but they're like no that's just a job <laughs> yeah oh whatever whatever which is respectable that you you know you work yeah, together well and yeah. you don't have to be friends with everyone. You don't you have meet. to be friends. That's fair. I kind of do, but like other people don't, and that's okay. I mean, honestly, if I worked on the Mythbusters, I would want to be on good terms with everyone there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I genuinely don't. I can't handle being purely acquaintances with people. I feel super alienated, <laughs> so I insist on becoming like besties yeah, with everyone Kat, I meet. Like knows people's like deep dark secrets within a week of asking or meeting <laughs> them, and I'm like, how do you do that? And she's like, I don't know. I just ask questions. And that's like the fundamental difference between you and I is you ask questions <laughs> and I just wait for people to tell me things. <laughs> I, I wanna know about people's lives. But it's not that I don't. I just It's it's the yeah. Yeah. A different it's approach. There. Um Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love people. Um anyway, Stauffenberg shows up to this meeting. Realizes that this is going to be a problem being not in the concrete bunker, and is like, okay, you know what we we've got to do this now or never. Like mm-hmm. it's we're cutting close on time, and we're gonna go. Um, and he thinks, okay, I've got two bombs in this briefcase, so even if it's wi- it's got windows and it's wood, this should still do the trick. I don't know if he was like an expert in bombs, but we should note that this guy had been severely injured in the line of duty mm. uh, in Africa, I believe he was. Mm. Um, I think it was this very war and he like lost part of he lost I think his left hand and a couple of fingers wow. on his right and his eyesight wow. and part of his hearing. Hmm. Um and although apparently when Hitler met him Hitler was like ah oh, look at this guy he's so charismatic he's what a warrior should be you know hmm. battle-worn but still a handsome white dude with like you know the Aryan <laughs> features. Blue eyes. Yeah. <laughs> although I think he had Brunette hair, I think. I'm not sure. Um, But yeah, but Hitler saw him as this, like, martyr and all that. And Hitler was, like, actually pretty fond of him or liked him. But so he doesn't actually have, like, full, quite the same mobility that he did when he had two hands, um, which some people think is the factor in this. Because he gets there. I don't know. Again, maybe his time in the military taught him about bombs. But we have pretty good documentation that... Stauffenberg, being the one with the best access to Hitler, was decided to be the one carrying the Uh bombs. And it was imperative, too, that he survive for the rest of Operation Valkyrie, though, so he had to get out before the explosion itself took place. Gotcha. He excuses himself for a moment so that he can go get the bombs themselves ready. They're kind of like, arm them. So from what I was reading about this type of bomb, there's a little thing you... A, like a break like a little vial of acid and it okay. starts to corrode and eventually it reaches the actual charge and mm-hmm. explodes which gives it a couple problems the the way i think you set the charge requires a bit of precision which oh. he might not have quite had in his hands he, i mean he could do it well, but it might have taken his... him a little bit longer yeah well if he lost his eyesight two? Yeah. That would not make things easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some people, I've heard it speculated on one or two places that he, it took him longer than it should have mm. um, to set the bomb. And I've also heard that um this being so temperamental like you didn't exactly know how long it was going to take the acid to eat through yeah, to the charge say, especially in a humid a place like unpredictable. it was predictable yeah. yeah it was humid and hot and mm-hmm. that could speed up the reaction so yeah. they were trying to work fast but he excused himself to the bathroom saying i believe someone told someone said that he it claimed it needed to change his shirt so he doesn't have that long. But someone starts knocking on the door of the bathroom, trying to hurry him up, saying, like, hey, we got to start this meeting. And he was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, and he only has time to arm one of the devices instead of both. Mm-hmm. Which that right there is a bit of a problem because he was counting on that with that new bunker, both charges being available. Yeah. And it's going to significantly reduce the damages. But he's like, okay, if I can get this right next to Hitler... Yeah. It'll still at least take him out. Yeah. Yeah. Historians think um, that it should have, like, worked if this one Mm. dude, this one dude hadn't moved the briefcase. Uh... Yeah. So, Stauffenberg comes back into the room, and he's like, hey, my hearing's still messed up from the blast. I need to sit right next to the Fuhrer. And he gets within like one or two chairs of him. I think was there's one his person between or his them. Eyesight? Both. Okay, both. I mean, okay. a bomb blast will rupture your eardrum. Okay. And yes, I don't know if he still sense. was struggling with hearing or if he was just saying that mm. to get mm-hmm. closer. Yeah. But uh, I think there's like one person in between them. Some say he was right next to him, but it's close enough where he gets the briefcase right there, and mm-hmm. he's like, "Oh, I, I've got a call to take." And mm-hmm. someone came in to tell him, like, you know, you've got a call to take, and this was pre planned, of course. Yeah. Um, And he leaves the room. He knows that he has less than 10 minutes from when he started the bomb, the acid, the corrosion, to Mm -hmm. when it goes off. And someone took the seat he was in and nudged (sighs) the briefcase with his leg. It positioned basically got moved to the other side of the table leg, mm. which doesn't seem like a significant change. But when it's blasting it's... all out of one side, uh-huh. Oh no. And exactly 12 42 PM, <sighs> the bomb goes off immediately. One of the stenographers is killed. There are over 20 people in there that are injured. I mean, you're going to be in a confined room of yeah. any, of any structure. It's going to injure you at least with like splinters and yeah, your, your no, hearing or off. something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but later, three of those with, that were injured died from their wounds. Okay, yeah. Um, Stauffenberg and one of the uh, accomplices that was there with him saw the explosion from outside, and they're like, "Great, worked. Here we go. Let's let's book it." They get in a car, and they manage to finagle their way past three different military checkpoints. They kind of like bluff their way out, so mm-hmm. they're out of the military complex. They get to Berlin, well, and they're like. There's so much miscommunication in the chaos, mm-hmm. which is what throws off the whole plan. Because yeah. in theory, Operation Valkyrie, they think Hitler's dead. Yeah, and that's they, what they have as two. Yeah, yeah, and they're kind of like, okay, Berlin, everyone, get ready to, you know, move the reserve army and start getting against the Nazi regime. But everyone else is like, wait, we need confirmation that Hitler is dead before mm-hmm. we do this. We we have Valid. to make sure, Fair and right. they all falter, and hitler obviously does not die but like yeah it's this freaking wooden table leg from what the (sighs) people in the room say he was leaning over the table looking at a map so from like waist up he was protected by this heavy wood table yeah and the table leg and the military officers standing around him blocked the charge oh my god from directly affecting him (sighs) he had apparently a pair of pants that got like Destroyed and burned, and later they were used as like a propaganda sort of thing. Like, look what someone tried to do to the Fuhrer, like, mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. thing. But he had like no serious damage oh a couple splinters, a perforated eardrum from the explosion. But that's it. Oh my god, and Ugh. which is infuriating because you're like, I don't care if there's a table in between you and a bomb, it's still a bomb, it's still a bomb, you should be dead. I know it's just like because when you think of a bomb, you're like, Oh, what bomb, like a bomb yeah like that's a big explosion yeah. but when it fits inside a briefcase and when it's one of two mm-hmm. it's kind of like yeah oh, it's not that big and it's not and then you have that big and i'm sure it was like very luxurious because he was a furist, so you know he needs the best of the best <laughs> even in his weird little bunker mm-hmm. um so it's probably like a really expensive like solid oak table mm-hmm. like well and you can see pictures of the bunker uh-huh. after the explosion there's some pretty famous pictures out there but if you look there's very obviously a table that was not completely destroyed. Yeah. Like you can see, like the table is still intact. You can make out mm-hmm. what structure it was. And you're like, how big was, how thick was this table right? to survive a bomb blast? And the yeah. rest of the room is like blown to shit. And uh-huh. the table itself is like still intact. You're like, how did this. Oh, God. <laughs> what? Damn. And Hitler is actually injured so little that he keeps his meeting with Benito Mussolini that was scheduled for later that day and brings him into the oh bunker God. to show him, hey, someone tried to assassinate me today. Look. Oh, my God. Like, there's pictures of him giving Mussolini a tour around the, like, destroyed bunker. Jesus Christ. I mean, like I mean, after a 40 assassination attempts, I'm sure it's just part of your day, But I imagine guess. being like, hey, Mussolini, come check this out. Like, weird flex, but okay right? I mean, honestly, between Hitler and Mussolini, that would be the kind of thing they flex about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Right, I, uh, I those two guys laying it on a table and measuring like. Oh yeah. I had an assassination attempt. What did to you David have? You Mussolini. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, and at first they're like so hopeful about this plot because they're like, Great, Hitler's dead. Here we go. And some people from the reserve army have started arresting like the high-ranking Nazis, like going after him. Mm-hmm. But eventually the truth gets out, and they're like, Oh shit, Uh-oh. Hitler's Just kidding. alive. Um, He's <laughs> fine, and that. Cements the end of the plan. They can't claim now that it was an assassination by his own high-ranking Nazis because he didn't everyone survived. Um. Ugh. Well, except for like those poor like.
1: I was gonna it's say those like, poor
0: four people that died, but also, honestly, also I don't feel well, like, bad for you. So I don't feel in the Nazi party to have poor, privilege does not it, apply or to have access to that room. They have to be like privileged members. Yeah. Ugh. I'm not gonna call you poor people for dying. You kind no. of sucked. I mean, they like in all likelihood they're probably just like desk workers. By well, I know the stenographer, which, like, but even then, being the stenographer, like Hitler's personal stenographer, probably means yeah. you know too much, and like I don't like and him. like a- agree with too much. Yeah, and we don't like you. I mean, you probably applied for the position because you Ugh. supported him. Yeah, so I don't feel that bad. Um. Anyways, so General Friedrich Fromm, who was the commander of the Reserve Army. And in theory, it was supposed to help them overturn the Nazis. He he had condoned the July plot, but he was like, Hey, I know who did it. And he was supposed to be ugh. one of the co conspirators, but he was hoping to throw yeah, attention someone else off of himself. Yeah, so he wouldn't get And ugh. he turns them in. Like he turns in like the major people are like Stauffenberg and like he's like, okay, this is what I know. Um of course. I mean, they like, figure it out because like Yeah. Friedrich Fromm, like, there you can't hmm. not Whose be involved. Whose is this belonged to? <laughs> well, like... Hmm, who is the one person who left the room? Well, no, I'm talking about Fromm, who turned oh. in the others. Like, oh, eventually yeah. they are like how did what do you mean you oh, know all these him? people like okay yeah, yeah, if you yeah. turn everyone in and turn jail like, on your people how did you know all of how this? did you know and yep. i'm sure that one or two people were like he turned me in well bitch you know what from was in on it too exactly like, yeah and i mean he gets executed anyway so it was pointless to try know, to turn like, people what? in you should have just kept your mouth shut yeah and then you probably would have lived exactly like, <laughs> and a couple men committed suicide um there's it's not uncommon even during like the nuremberg trials after the war Mm -hmm. it was an honor thing to like take a cyanide pill and uh, there was a whole family of high up like german officers. like it's awful i think it's goebbels his um press and propaganda secretary Mm. um whose wife when like as hitler was deciding what to do at the very end um, yeah. And they knew they were losing. She went, in, and I think they had seven children. And she, oh in their sleep, put cyanide capsules in their mouth and oh. killed all of her children, her and her husband. I think it was wow. Gerbil. I wow, this is horrible of me that I don't know that. that I should know that. I think it's Gerbils, but um, yeah, yeah, it's not I mean- boring. It, it's it has to be Go. Oh, I'm so bad with German names. Um, I think it's an I'll <laughs> you know, check I, that I, later. I've never heard of this person before or that story. So. I just feel really bad because I should know that. Um, eh. It's escaping me now. But, yeah, so it wasn't uncommon to have, like, honor suicides. And, yeah. and in some cases, even, like, you could be on line for execution the next day or trial. And mm-hmm. they'd be like, hey, we're going to look the other way if you want to. Because, like, it'll save your family's honor and it'll yeah. be less hassle for us. So, A couple of the men committed suicide before they could get there, but Stauffenberg and others were executed by being taken out to the courtyard and just shot by an impromptu firing squad. I do remember that from the movie, because it was Tom Cruise. (laughs) Tom (laughs) Cruise got shot! The famous Scientologist. Yeah, well, and that was very common, too, a way to just line people up and you just shoot till they're all dead. Um, The next part's a little effed up if you don't want to hear it. Um, But, like, one of them was actually attacked and like slowly asphyxiated and they oh filmed it and gave it to hitler to oh watch my... like a stu- snuff film oh my god yeah Ew. okay i don't know why that's never clicked to me for me but like hillary would totally be oh yeah that kind of he stuff. had to be a sadist yeah like Ugh. Ugh. Mm-hmm. it makes me so uncomfortable if you hear like the more you learn about hitler's early years Ugh. you actually can see him being like I mean, there was definitely something psychologically wrong with him. Mm. And there's so many books written on the psychology. There's one called, like, The Psychology of Evil that I read. It was actually fascinating. It talks about how you get from point A to point B in his life where he Uh could be doing this. And there's a point where you realize, like, there was some sort of imbalance in his brain. Like, oh, for sure. No one normal is like, I'm going to kill 40 million people or however many. <laughs> That's way over. I mean, well, when you include the people killed in war. Yeah. Like, exactly. it gets really, really high. Yeah. Um, but, like, intentional, like, the Jews and um, LGBTQ plus members and, like, all Any uh, minority disabled. group that he could f- figure out that he didn't like. Yeah. So... Yeah. You know something had to be wrong with him, and it doesn't help that mm-hmm. he's completely effed on medication at this point. Like his yeah. doctor is straight up giving him like meth, Jesus, to Christ. try because he has Parkinson's. Yeah, um, uh-huh. and which fun fact if you didn't know that Hitler had Parkinson's, he would like be shaking so bad that he would have to like go to rallies and stuff and hold his hands behind his back so people couldn't mm. see it. Mm-hmm. Um, It was, he was in bad condition, and there was definitely something wrong with him towards the end. But, yeah, that doesn't seem like something, when you think about it, that Hitler would actually mind doing. They end up arresting what some people think are thousands, thousands of members of the Resistance just on suspicion of conspiring with the July plot, and he executed tons of them. So, it's hard to know, you know, exactly who knew what was going on and which plot. Mm -hmm. So... There could be a couple hundred directly related to the July plot that they executed. Some people say that by the time they got, you know, information on who's in the resistance, they tortured it out of other people, et cetera, et cetera. They think that thousands were killed. Wow, from the resistance. I af- mean, honestly, a, I would say I was surprised, but I'm sure at that point they're so used to killing people it's that not it even, doesn't matter. Well, and the, if yeah. you like, it's disgusting. But if you mm-hmm. look at his his forces, like they're literally trying to t- take people into the woods dig a mass grave yep. and shoot them on the side of it yeah um and what's really disturbing about this one skip the next 30 seconds or so is that out of these thousands of people that were killed a lot of them were like strung up on meat hooks oh my god And killed that way jeez yeah so, like, you really start to think, yeah. like, this is a sadism issue. Oh, yeah. Like, this, this is... He's got something to prove. He's it's off not, his rocker. Yeah, it's not about honor. It's not mm. about, like, efficiency anymore. He's got something wrong with him. He wants to make a show of it. That's, like, head on a... head on a What is it called? Head on a pike? Head on a stick. Yeah, pipe. pike. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, And you, like, stick it on the bridge to make an example. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. And, I mean, once you've done such god-awful things to the rest of your population, your country and stuff, like... You don't like, care. You don't... It just like your life is meaningless. It. Yeah. yeah. Um, so after all of this has gone down, Hitler is convinced that there's some higher power that has spared him from this explosion. Of course. Yeah. And he's like, he feels like it's given him some divine right that fate has allowed him to survive, so that he can carry on and keep going and just lead Germany even more. He says, "Quote: Having escaped death in so extraordinary a way, I am now more than ever convinced that the great cause which I serve." will survive its present perils, and that everything can brought, be brought to a good end. Oh, my God. And, and then he dies, like, less than a year later. <laughs> yeah, he kills himself. <laughs> Sucker. Yeah. Um. So he and the other Nazi leaders are suddenly more in control of the situation than ever, and they're, like, calling all these shots, and everyone's like, yeah, mm-hmm. you're you're a martyr, we're... Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Now they they're inspired. Yeah, it's yeah. literally the exact opposite of what they were planning to happen with Operation Valkyrie. Um, so in the long term, or like historiography, we're gonna have our little historiography comment here. We're gonna nice s- talk about you that. Always gotta slip it in. <laughs> yeah, these men go from being the turned traitors of World War Two in Germany yeah. to now being a very heroic thing. And you can see... You can see it over time, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, well, when you have a movie starring Tom Cruise made about you, then you're not seen as a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And you can see that slow progress, because there's a lot of still pro-German... I shouldn't say pro-German, pro-nationalism sentiment in Germany after the war. And so these people, for a long time, by that part of the population, would be considered traitors still. And they they neglected the Fuhrer, because... I was talking to um, that professor we used to have that did uh-huh. all the Holocaust in German uh-huh. and stuff, and he's a bit older. He just retired um, after a very long time teaching here, and he was talking once about his time studying in Germany when he was doing his doctorate, and how he was walking in one of the libraries, and the man called out behind him like, Sir, do you know where you walk? You walk in the footsteps of the Fuhrer. Oh. Like... There were still people, when he was getting his doctorate there, that had not necessarily a pro-Nazi sentiment, but a pro-German nationalism sentiment that were Uh. willing to overlook the Holocaust in order to support nationalism. Or not even overlook a Holocaust. There are plenty of people that actively still, to this day, deny that Mm -hmm. the Holocaust happened. Oh, absolutely. Even non-Germans, I... I there's a lot to say about that. Well, uh, well, you can see the same kind of people in America. Someone too. in our cohort texted me last week and he was like, "Cat, I'm watching a documentary right now. Can you please explain this to me? Like how people still, and I gave him like, yeah. Yeah. And I gave him like the basic lowdown of like people genuinely, are, like there's a million reasons. Psychologically. It's psychological. You I think it's a lot of it is psychological. It's defensive. Yeah. It's to not have to deal with the actual emotion and Mm -hmm. reality it's our own nationalism in america when people deny it so like there's a million reasons but there are still people that would consider them traitors for years to come and now they're they're heroes yeah and which is a weird thing too because some of them weren't good people yeah no it's true they were shit people who just wanted a different person in power yeah they didn't necessarily disagree with hitler they just didn't like that he was the one calling the shots yeah and i think that's important to keep in mind because again like i said earlier this really seems like a really good story to show how morally gray history can be yeah because it's you not have just right and wrong had people doing an objective good or at least yeah. what we would perceive For as an objective, objective good thing. so it's you know when people come at history with like our our mm-hmm. lens what we know and there are some things that are mm-hmm. black and white good and bad there Holocaust, are bad. bad point blank period equal rights civil rights movement good, good. like <laughs> but like when you get into the weeds like this you know it's and a how lot we got more... to those a's and B's, yeah. black and white there is gray in the middle yeah um so yeah and now actually i think angela merkel um some ceremony on the 75th anniversary was, like, we see them as heroes now. Like, they're mm. heroes to Germany. And, Interesting. And I was like, that's probably good that you acknowledge it as a nation as being yeah. and a I think, good thing. It'll help some of that sentiment stuff. Yeah. Well, I think I've heard that about Germany. It's like, now they're, like, very open about, we acknowledge what we've done. Which is the big difference between America, America and, and Germany, Germany when we talk mm-hmm. about slavery, is that we still have a lot of people in denial of the yeah, situation. Yeah, a lot of our educators, too. Yeah, which yeah. is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. In Germany, there there is, unfortunately, a new yeah. resurgence of... All over Europe, right? All over Europe, all over that's America. Rough. I'm not putting yeah. this on any one country. No, There's a true. huge resurgence of Right-wing. hate groups, um, neo-Nazis, mm-hmm. Aryan brotherhoods, stuff like that, which is terrifying, yeah. but... Germany has been making a bigger push because they know that acknowledging this is going to diminish the power of those groups of those hate groups. Um, true. Like they have stumbling stones. Um, that's what they're called. They have like bricks and little plaques in the ground. That'll Mm. say like a Jew lived here, like this home, Mm. this area, like it's like a remembrance for all of the people that died and they're everywhere. I'm sure. Um, and i that's one of the things i'm i want to go see germany so bad because i want to like mm-hmm. be able to you know almost like pay your respects like i want to yeah. go to the concentration camps like i study this i'm really not just from a standpoint of academia but i i want to like, like personally. personally yeah be like invest myself in this a little bit no, and I like see some of that you know yeah and hey kat let's go to germany Bitch, I can't afford to go to the beach for a day. <laughs> Did I say now? No. No, that's Eventually, true. yes. Eventually, yes. Actually, our mutual friend is planning a Europe trip in the next couple of years. And um, we can... We'll talk. Yeah. If we can save up. Well, that's up. the thing. Listen, as history people, both of us, we can only go to Europe with history people. Yeah. At least the first time. Mm-hmm. Which is we, a good thing because she is a history Yeah, person. she is. Like, people who are into history know this, but like... To do that kind of stuff, you have to be with other history oh, yeah. people or else people are like, are you done? I was like, like You're like, no, I have a freaking staring... lube. What do you mean? Am I done? <laughs> I know. And it's just like, like two to three weeks just to see everything for like my like, few seconds of the I lube. Know. And I'm like, I don't think you'll understand. I'm going to go to Leaning Power of T- Pisa and like stare at it for three hours. I know. And, and everyone else will be like, cat. And I'm like, no. I, I just like, I, I mean, I got that vibe when I visited like the East Coast for the first time. hmm and like, oh, yeah. I was in a state that was a colony, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh my god, yeah, this was a colony!" Like, I can't mm-hmm. imagine the thousands of year of history in Europe. Well, just the one time I was able there. to go to the Smithsonian with my family, I remember everyone else being like, "Can we like?" go and my mom is one of those people she'll read every plaque you yeah. know but i read every plaque and then stare at it for 10 minutes and i'm like is the is that vest from apollo 13 mission is it fraying where's the wear and tear can you see the sweat marks <laughs> well, from I'm where sure they is. were like no it's even like as a collections person you're like i hmm, nice see how they've stored this i know and i'm like <laughs> that's why when my parents my undergraduate graduation gift which i haven't uh-huh. been able to cash in on yet because yeah. of covid was to use my dad's miles that he had saved up to uh-huh. go to the smithsonian they're like so like three or four day trip and i was like Oh no. Can I tell me when I'll buy a ticket? I was like, mm. well, and my coworker at at work, yeah, um the new job, mm-hmm. she that's what she asked her parents for is a Smithsonian trip and I was oh. like party. <laughs> <laughs> museum oh, nerds, man. but yeah, unless you're a museum person, you just can't museum and history people just hit different when you go yeah. abroad. So, yep. Yeah, it has yep. to be a very specific type of you would really do because yeah. some people you know going to europe they're just like oh you know it's cool and old and it's like i will I also have a picnic beach. in front yeah. of the eiffel tower but Absolutely. i also want to look at all the pictures of hitler in front of the eiffel tower when he invaded france and then go on like the tours that yeah. are, like talk about yeah. the invasion like <laughs> oh my god and you have to like look at all the buildings and be like wow this is so old. you know you know how it is oh <laughs> everything here is like max 200 years old and i know it's like, like, like everything's so new in texas and you're like Bleh. which is why i'm <laughs> desperately when i go to like china or japan like the oldest civilizations because here it's like 200 they're like oh a thousand years old i know they like laugh at us in europe they're like america what 400 years that's nothing and then like china like laughs at europe what two thousand years (laughs) well and that's the thing like even in america it's like in south america there's like actual structures from like the ancient civilizations here and i'm like i know oh man yeah that's our rant for the day hey if you um when i recommend this to other people we probably will never make money off this podcast but if yeah. we did make money off this podcast we could please you're europe. funding our europe trip please <laughs> one cent at a time please thank you we don't we don't get paid for this it's just no. a gag we don't even have our own mics we keep renting yeah. them oh man um but yeah hey so we're having a good time and we, we hope that you are yeah 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 so <laughs> Now, fun fact, the German military recruits, they take their oaths on July 20th in honor of Stauffenberg and the other dissenters. Huh. And that's, yeah, that's my gem. That was good. Yeah, that was really good. I enjoyed hearing about that. Thank you, Kat. I had to take my headphone out because my ear is... As always, I'm dealing with ear problems. I'll let you know if you start to fizz out on Yes, you got to let me know because now it's on to my story. Yes, checking the time to see how long. Okay, so. Yeah, we're at curious. about an hour. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so we did talk a lot during yours. We got yeah, off topic. We got off topic. Um, anyway, so now I'm talking about something very different. As always. <laughs> um, and I'm going to be talking about the Rosetta Stone. <laughs> specifically, how it was discovered and why it is so important. So, are we ready? I am ready. I'm out of my seat because I know I should know more about this than I do. That's why I picked this because I was like, I... have kind of have a rough idea of like what it is and Mm -hmm. why it's important but not like genuinely well and i'm finding that about everything we talk about oh absolutely even in my own research i'll be like i should have known that detail about this thing Mm -hmm. but i didn't yeah no i get it okay so the rosetta stone is a stone stila which is um like a i'll just read that i literally put the definition in here so i wouldn't fumble this i'll just keep reading okay um it is a stone stila made of black basalt. Weighing around three-fourths of a ton and measuring around 40, well, measuring 46.5 inches high, 30 inches wide, and 12 inches deep. There is a portion of the stone missing. The top half of the stone has seemingly has broken off at some point, and um, it does contain what we suspect to be more uh, inscription on it. And researchers are still looking for it for this day. Some Egyptologists even believe that the stone could have been almost double the height of what it is. So there's like estimates of what the top of the stone looks like. And it's a pretty significant chunk if you look at some of these estimates of what they believed it would have been originally. So going back to a stela. So a stela is an upright stone slab or column typically bearing a commemorative inscription or relief design, often serving as a gravestone. These also were um, used a lot by governments as documentation, so they couldn't just, you know, they didn't have the news to put stuff out on, so they would carve these giant rocks of, like, whatever decree they feel, felt like they needed to tell their people. Which, like, it sounds like a far, what is it called, the, the far right side or whatever, that cartoon with the, um, I don't know if I know what you're The far about. side. Maybe. I don't know. Ugh, there's a cartoon where it's always like, there's always like cavemen in it doing something oh, funny. Oh, I know you're talking like, about. Yes. Or they'll have like a Trojan horse, but it's shaped like a pizza man. And they'll yes. be like, hey, you think we'll accept it. It's like a joke on yeah, old yeah. stuff. And it makes me think of something like that of a cartoon. Like someone be no, like, maybe like, there's a faster way to do this. And then some guy sitting know, there with like, like a like chisel. and like, Whenever they you know. need to like issue decrees, they can't just like write it down on some papyrus, which they did have at this point.
1: <laughs> they <laughs> like, have to gotta carve gotta go it
0: big. and etch it into a rock. Go big or go home, man. <laughs> so... Very, very – so, as I said, governments uh can often use this as a form of documentation. And this – the stela or steely I don't really know. That's a hard word to say. S-T-E-L-E, if you're interested. They can be found – used mainly in Egypt and ancient Maya. So, we have these two. Okay. Yeah. So, it's, like, common enough, but it's still, like – that just seems like so much energy. <laughs> I know. But I know they don't have, like, paper. Well, it makes you think, like, maybe it was, like, the big important stuff only. Yeah. But then you're, like – no, no, no. Because like when you hear this, it's kind of like you didn't need to, yeah. to write all these stones. Someone about was just this. <laughs> had a little too much time already. Yeah. So, very, very fortunately for us, modern human humanity, the decree on the Rosetta Stone was specifically issued in three languages most common to the region at the time. Oh. These three languages were ancient Greek, Demotic, uh, Demotic Egyptian and uh egyptian hieroglyphs and demotic is kind of the vernacular or the more common form of egyptian hieroglyphs hmm. so egyptian hieroglyphs were like the holy language that's where we see them so much in temples and grave sites oh. and stuff like that and that's where they were, they were the first to be kind of eradicated from the ancient egyptian civilization because, because people they were, were changing religions. Exactly. And Christianity oh. was like, no, you can't have any other gods. So that's why we lost hieroglyphs so fast. We lost that knowledge so like fast. Like Nefertiti when we were talking about how the person after her was like so dead set on erasing uh-huh. her that they destroyed like all of her. Mm-hmm. Oh. So we um I get to this a little bit later, but we lose knowledge of hieroglyphs by 4th century. Uh, ce so by the 300s we had lost all knowledge of hieroglyphs and how to read them oh yeah so pretty early on when you think about like the rise of christianity and that being a huge factor in the fall of like egyptian and other well like we were talking about they're switching back and forth religions pretty often Mm -hmm. and if you're going to keep destroying the evidence of the previous person eventually you're just Mm -hmm. cannibalizing your own ability to Mm -hmm. keep that stuff And so, yeah, so like I said, we have this demonic language, which is their kind of more common form of the Egyptian. Language. Um, so it wasn't, it was used in everyday stuff, not like documentation and temples and everything. Mm-hmm. So the text itself was pretty boring and was like very unnecessarily wordy for like the point <laughs> it was trying to make. Very classic and typical so to like very charles Dickens of yeah, them. Very <laughs> government issued paperwork. It's like you could have said that in like two bullet points, but instead you spend this whole paragraph <laughs> talking about the Shire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this decree on the Rosetta Stone was issued in we believe to be 196 BCE. Whoa. And basically, it was a propaganda tool used to convince people of Egypt to accept the current king, uh, Ptolemy V and uh so this was an issue because ptolemy was from greek and so we see that kind of evidence of power struggle of who's controlling egypt at this time so Uh. they're trying to get people to accept ptolemy as a good king and it says basically that he's a good king and worships all the good gods so that's (laughs) in a nutshell that's what it says if you're interested Uh, So it was kind of part of this larger campaign to get people to support him. The stone apparently also says that there was one of these stones placed in every, quote, sizable temple across Europe. Although we only have the ones, or not Europe, Egypt. uh, Although we only have this one Rosetta stone. Mm -hmm. So we aren't really sure if that was entirely true, if there was just one made. But we have the stone. So that's all that matters really. (laughs) Um, What it says and all that, where it came from, why it was written doesn't matter as much as the fact that we have it. That is the most significant part of this. Mm -hmm. So as what happens um, a lot with government documentation, especially what in a region where it's constantly over undergoing like power changes and Mm -hmm. everything like that, it kind of would just push to the side in this temple and left to gather dust as control of Egypt shifted from oh my god what am I doing on my computer <laughs> whoa <laughs> as control of Egypt shifted from one empire to the other the Egyptian religion and preservation of hieroglyphic language was fading out was both fading and being forced out so mm-hmm. you know people were like adopting real new religions so they didn't care about preserving hieroglyphs as much but then we also have things like Christianity coming in and being like no you can't practice this anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, So as I said before, uh, hieroglyphs are the holy form of the Egyptian language, um, and there still was demotic. So even after the hieroglyphs were lost by around the 4th century CE, so 300, there still was that demotic language, which was the more vernacular form, but that did eventually evolve into Coptic. Uh, which still had a very minor connection to hieroglyphs, but very little. So this demonic and Coptic languages, they weren't seen as like taboo as the holy form of hieroglyphs were. So they were kind of allowed to still exist, whereas hieroglyphs were like kind of stamped out from the beginning. And uh, so, but by the time that the Rosetta Stone is rediscovered, this Coptic language has been all but phased out and mm-hmm. uh in whoa in favor that's the word in favor of arabic in the region so people still knew coptic but they weren't speaking it at all okay. and the people who in the story know coptic like study it academically kind of the same way as like gotcha ancient like latin. latin and greek yeah. yeah um so with the loss of hi- the hieroglyph language itself and modic we lose any and all connection to the culture of ancient Greece. Oh my God. Sorry, yeah, too, I did many it ancients, too many ancient. Too many ancient. I did it earlier. I literally couldn't say the word like. <laughs> yeah. So, as we lose these languages, we lose any ability we have to understand ancient Egypt as a whole. We still have, like, we have some things that we have records of. We can assume a lot of things from. What has been preserved. And honestly, ancient Egypt has been pretty surprisingly preserved. If you really think about the amount of time, the fact that there were still mammoths in existence when the pyramids were being built, like, Uh that's astronomical. No, the amount of time and the amount of power struggles that region of the world continues to have to today. Yeah. The fact that those things are still standing is very impressive. Um, So we have all of this, like, we have all of these hieroglyphs but we just have no way of understanding what they were saying. So, with this fading of ancient Egyptian knowledge and religion and artifacts from the civilization. Oh, sorry, I said that like, totally wrong. Which with this with this fading of ancient Egypt, the knowledge, religion and artifacts from the civilization also lost their importance. And this is how the Rosetta Stone came to be found. A being used as a buttress in a wall of a new building by some marooned French soldiers all the way in 1799. What? So in 1799... <laughs> um, okay. So... Now we're going to back up a little bit. 1799, July 15th, I believe it was, 1799. So we just passed
1: the anniversary
0: of... No, I have it somewhere here. Okay. Um, it's either the 15th or the 16th. Yeah, it's the 15th. Okay. So dialing it back a little bit we have napoleon all right second Mm -hmm. mention of napoleon (laughs) for today napoleon bonaparte who's the emperor of the post-revolution reign of terror france has set his sights on taking over the world but in order to do that he first has to deal with the age-old enemy of france britain so great britain who at the time is in the height of their imperial power had a very significant hold on the indian and middle eastern region. what am i saying What's i did wrong it with earlier me? too i know oh my gosh had a significant hold on the indian and middle eastern region Napoleon wanted to eventually win India from the British, but in order to do that, he recognized he would need a foothold in the region. So he set his sights on conquering Egypt to establish that foothold. The plan was to take over Egypt and control the Nile River and thus cutting off Britain's supply resources to India. And remember, this is pre-Suez Canal, so the Mm. Nile was very vital to this area of the world. Um, However, Britain... Had literally the greatest navy in the world. So their ships just got decimated. And they were abandoned and left in Egypt for 19 years. So all of these forces were just stuck in Egypt. I was like, did no one come and get them? Like, that's a long time. And in the grand scheme of things, Egypt is not that far away from France. It's not. (laughs) They could have walked there (laughs) within 19 years. (laughs) yeah I mean, you're not wrong yeah so i was just like that seems like a laughable yeah. amount of time so in their time there they were like well i guess if we're gonna be here we might as well build some forts so the soldiers <laughs> started building some forts right i know and that it, forts are like military bases but i just picture hello like forts we gotta get our forts <laughs> nerf guns sticking out the side <laughs> um So not only were there soldiers on this expedition to Egypt, there was also a very considerable amount of scholars from all fields. Mm. Um, So Napoleon, and as a part of his, you know, Egypt campaign and his campaign to take over the world, he realizes that arts and culture and having cultural influence too, and cultural capital is very important part of that. In a colonial, kind of colonizer way. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you have control of the culture, you have control of an area, that's in true. essence, and I think that's kind of what he was going for here. So, with kind Egypt. of cultural genocide. It it is in a way, except it's like more about preserving than destroying, but just being controlled like by a group. Taking it for yeah, yourself. Taking it owning. It. And okay. And especially with something like Egypt, with which people have been fascinated with, specifically right. French and Britain or British historians have been right. fascinated with Egypt but because it's so mysterious and so um, Egyptology doesn't exist as a field yet but it very much is like capturing the attention of these great colonial powers to like Mm -hmm. have control over that area of the world because Mm -hmm. it's so like ooh exotic and mysterious so in order to do this Napoleon had established the Institute of Egypt back in France and he sent people who were members of this Institute of Egypt along with the expedition. So we had a bunch of soldiers yeah. and he even went so far as to promote the scholars involved in this project to be members of the military. So yeah. to send to have an excuse to mm-hmm. send them on this mission. So sitting in Egypt for 19 years, we have all of these soldiers and we have a bunch of scholars who have dedicated their lives to researching Egypt. Right? So it's kind of like a great time for mm-hmm. them. So that's kind of why we have this perfect storm of people. And um, so on July 15th, 1799, some, scolder- some soldiers were working on building a fort and they were digging up the ruins of an old temple to build a fort when they discovered there was a stone in what appeared to be the buttress of an old temple that had been torn down and then rebuilt and then torn down and rebuilt a million ah, times. Okay. Yeah, so it was just part of the wall of this old building hmm. that they were converting into a fort. So uh so these soldiers were like, this seems important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. and guess what? It was. So they take it to their commanding officer who's a man by the name of Pierre Francois Bouchard, and the rest is history, right? Except I'm gonna talk about the history because history keep podcast going. I'm, I'm, I need to know more. <laughs> yeah. In this history podcast, we do, in fact, talk about history. (laughs) Sometimes we go off tangent, but most of the time... Most of the time, we're talking about history. So, I'm going to continue talking about it. So, this guy, Bouchard, is like, yeah, this probably seems important. So, he hands it over to the scholars on this trip, and they're like, yeah, this is... Kind of need that. (laughs) Yeah, this is something that they've never had access to before. There was another artifact that they had that they thought... They they realized, basically they realized the importance of this because they suspected that each inscription was the same thing and they really mm. needed that to be the case. Because if that was the case, they could get from ancient Greek to the hieroglyphs. And it just so happened that it was. Before this, there was one other artifact that I heard about was discovered, but they thought maybe it would be the same language or the same inscription. Mm-hmm. I forget which two languages. It was probably Greek and then hieroglyphs. But I don't remember if that's exactly right. Um, but it was not the same inscription. Mm-hmm. So um, that so this was something that they had been waiting for. Remember, this is 1799. So centuries yeah. after we've lost, over a thousand years after we've lost Jeez. access to anything having to do with hieroglyphs. The, there's this like glimpse of hope. And so almost immediately, they recognize the potential of this. However, uh, because they're, as we know, fighting the British, yeah. um, the they soon lost possession of the stone to the British. And this is, I think, part of treaty agreements, that any artifacts that the French had discovered in Egypt during oh. their 19 years were turned over to the British at mm. this time. And in reality, it belongs to neither of you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'll get into that later, okay. because we're still dealing with those problems. Yes. Um, yeah, so... Good news though is that the French do have significant copies of the text. They have charcoal rubbings they've taken. They have all the things they need to study this except the actual stone itself. Yeah. So now we kind of have this split between another kind of proxy war between right. England and France. And it does turn into that. So Stone is covered discovered in 1799. By 1819 we have the first glimpse, the first crack of the hieroglyph code or sorry 1819 1818 we have the first man who kind of translates something from the stone Mm. and this is a british man by the name of thomas young and he was technically the first to translate anything from that tablet so anything from the hieroglyphs portion of the tablet in 1818 before i get into this i do want to say the other two sections of the tablet i have it in here somewhere were translated prior to this uh ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. where did i put this why is this okay so the ancient greek was translated by a man named reverend stephen watson in 1802 so pretty soon after okay. they found the stone and like it wasn't revolutionary like it takes a lot to translate things yeah but like enough people knew ancient it's not greek translating that they weren't. the bible and then yeah giving it to all of yeah Europe. they weren't worried that that couldn't happen the way that they were worried okay. that hieroglyphs couldn't happen. Yeah. And there were apparently two men that translated um, the demotic part of the text. Oh, yeah. Um, one was the actual teacher of the man I'm going to talk about in a minute. But he kind of translated it in a way that wasn't very beneficial. It got the words out, but it didn't really, like add to any understanding of the hieroglyphs or or sentence demonic language or or anything itself gotcha so the man who did that was a swedish man by um his name was like awkward and i only heard of a last name for him but he was an expert an expert in coptic so he was able to see the connections between coptic and demotic and kind of make those connections there and he basically Mm -hmm. figured The words for love, temple, and I believe it was Greek were the same in Coptic and Demotic. So using those, he was able to kind of connect, which just sounds like very impressive. So that was a little more impressive. So before this, before the actual translation of the hieroglyphs, we do have the two other sections translated. Great, cool, impressive, but not as impressive as unlocking this language that had been... Yeah, (laughs) hidden for hundreds of years. Yeah, exactly. So... um. As I said, this man by the name of Thomas Young was technically the first to translate anything from the hieroglyph portion in 1819. He was able to match the name Ptolemy, written in Greek, to its counterpart in the hieroglyph section. Uh, But this is, like, very... Not very much more than a fluke. Um, Mm. He basically was able to use something called a... uh, Where did the word go? It's a certain word and a cartouche. And a cartouche was basically like a fancy section that they would put the name of whoever was ruling okay. at the time in. So it was usually like oval shaped,
1: and it would uh, just be like the
0: name circle, like a label. Yeah, it's something that's supposed to stick out, like a seal or. A label. Yeah, okay. so he recognized. Oh, that's probably where they put the names of their rulers. And using the Greek and his knowledge of the time period, he was able to deduce that this word is probably Ptolemy. So while he Mm. did technically translate something. He went more on intuition. Yeah. It wasn't like he unlocked the alphabet. Yeah. You know, it was just he was able to, through a series of assumptions, get to the right place. Um, But Thomas Young is England's claim to fame, and we'll come back to that later, even though he definitely didn't do much for the actual study of hieroglyphics (laughs) or anything like that. Sounds about right. Um, So one of the reasons why he didn't do much is because he was stuck in this kind of preconceived notion on how hieroglyphs worked. Mm. And basically, there was this man, this scholar by the name of Heropolo, who in the 5th century convinced everyone until 1822 that hieroglyphs were literal so oh whatever they depicted was is what they're talking about. yeah is what they meant so if it was like a picture of a cat oh it was cat that's what the word was i feel like that is an assumption about a lot of pictographic languages yes especially when you're operating out of a more romanized language oh, yeah eurocentric yeah kind of. um yeah Well, yeah, Roman is a good term. But the problem was not only that he came up with this wrong assumption, was that he... So he did this in the 5th century, so 400s. He was so close to the time that the language was lost that people just took his word. And it was oh, treated no. as a primary source. No So people were convinced for years, no, that's how you interpret hieroglyphs. And so there was all these like crazy oh, assumptions about life in ancient Egypt because they were taking <gasps> the pictures as literal things that were happening that's when that's like funny not. Like true. it's not funny at all. Yeah, but it's, but it's like kind of This man for centuries had the world convinced that no, this, this is how this works um so it's just a big fluke and that's why this man by the name uh, this guy thomas young just couldn't get past he just had such a strong belief of no this is how that worked Mm -hmm. that he couldn't push past that and look at the hieroglyphs objectively and figure out how that language worked. because if you don't know the hieroglyphs are an alphabetical phonetic language Mm -hmm. and each image stands for a sound Mm -hmm. um and so they just hadn't made that revelation yet yeah and it wouldn't be until four years later as i said 1822 um that a man by the name of jean francois Champollion discovered that it was in fact a phonetic alphabet and that is the point that they are unable to or that they are able to unlock the best we can now yeah. that hieroglyphic language so this guy um Champollion, was basically born to do this In fact, apparently when he was born, there was a magician who said that he will be famous one day when he was a baby. Um, And guess what? He was. We're still talking about him today. Yeah. And he was a talented linguist, like a protege. protege. Like, he was so good that um, when he applied to a university in France, they denied him a mission Oh. But they offered him a teaching position. So literally, like, one of the prodigies that, like, was going to never, like, yeah. like he, just, he wasn't mm-hmm. going to peak. He was just going to keep getting better yes. and better. and he, like, apparently, from a young age, was like, no, I'm going to figure out hieroglyphs. Like, that was his life goal, wow. is to be like, I'm going to figure this out. Don't keep me hanging. And he, do it? he he did. Yeah. <laughs> um, so using the same the same cartouches the same ideas of cartouches that young had used Champollion is able to kind of get other cartouches from other carvings um just in different places I'm sure he didn't have them actually in front of him but he was able mm-hmm. to study them and he basically one day was looking at this cartouche and he knew that they were likely the name of uh rulers at the time so he kind of had that to work with he had an estimated knowledge of Mm -hmm. the rulers so he's like it's got to be one of these words you know yeah it can't just be anything and he figures out he's looking at them and he sees that the last two images in this cartouche are the same so in theory a repeated sound and then he looks at the first symbol and it's the symbol of a sun so a circle and using knowledge of the ancient egyptian um religion Uh uh-huh and the sun god being Ra, right and he's able to kind of put together and the fact that in demotic and coptic the sound Ra is a circle so sun he's able to put together that ram sis so we have that (gasps) Ra sound at the beginning and then the two sis so we have those two repeated sounds at the end oh my gosh and so he figures out gosh it's not a literal interpretation it's and apparently he was so psyched that he just fainted on the spot. I would too. If I were really magic like hieroglyphics. Like, I'm like getting goosebumps. Like that's such a profound. I I would pass like, out. I you know Okay. I used to laugh <laughs> at that shit when I was a kid and I'm cursing today, sorry. Oh, um, oh my god, Kat, how could oh you okay, <laughs> we've told you all before it's gonna happen. Um but like when I was a kid, I used to think like, oh nerdy. Like I loved history, but I felt yeah. the people who got so excited about it were just like weird and I remember watching National Treasure and the scene where they find the altar in the middle and Helen Mirren's character is up there and she's like this is gonna unlock yeah, like our understanding of the languages, and now I look at that and it makes me want to like it gives me sh- chills, I get shivers, I and watched... I'm like, oh I God. understand it now. Like, I, to- I totally do because I rewatched National Treasure like mm-hmm. a year or two ago, and I was like, I'm totally gonna rewatch it soon. I'm oh, my when she says that line, the y- way her voice shakes, you can feel it, and you just know, like, the oh breakthroughs. My God. And it makes me like because there's so many things that are lost. Yeah, if someone. Can you imagine being there when someone was like, because in the first movie she finds scrolls from the Library of Alexandria. Uh-huh. Oh, Abigail shivers, does, and I'm like, can you imagine if you were actually there and someone said, "This has the seal oh from the God. Library of Alexandria"? That's or insane. we found the steeple of a building. We think it could be a buried building that yeah. was a library, and I'd be like, uh, yeah. I can't even comprehend the people that make these breakthroughs i know i literally so there's a franchise of games called uncharted i know them yeah yeah good great games love them to death but i it hurt me to play this because Mm -hmm. every freaking game there's four of them yeah every freaking game the basic plot is Nathan Drake, you know your yeah. classic Indiana Jones type, yeah. finds an old, undiscovered, untouched, mm-hmm. like ancient civilization, like mm-hmm. the ruins of it, and yeah. And then for whatever reason, it has a curse on it, and they yeah. have to destroy it, and it is just, it's just a painful. Just breaks my heart because I'm sitting there playing this video game like a total yep. freaking nerd, and like crying because I'm not literally crying, but like being very upset because I'm like, yeah. I have to destroy this. Do you know how big of a deal this would be if I someone actually discovered this? <laughs> like.
1: Uh. Uh- <laughs> So anyway,
0: yeah. it was one of those moments. Like, this... I don't blame him for passing out. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, who knows if it's really happened. I also heard a version where he runs down the street to his brother's house and faints before he can tell him what he... what. Which is also like, valid. Also valid. But, like, I just... To, connect that to be the first one even though it doesn't seem like that revolutionary it is and i mean well even in our jobs like there's the times when i'll be looking at something and like an artifact and i'm not supposed to be like figuring something out Mm -hmm. but uh, a few weeks ago someone sent us a picture and they're like we need to know what the people in this picture are doing and it was like a picture of a bunch of people gathered in a big Mm -hmm. field huh and they're like we need to know everything about this picture and Mm -hmm. i was like well holy crap (laughs) <laughs> yeah okay and it was a bad xerox xerox copy of a picture i spent hours with my co-worker pouring over sanborn maps from mm-hmm. the decades the around the time this could have been and i used dresses uh like um clothing to narrow down yeah. the year wagon styles then we found a building mm-hmm. in the background we realized was city hall that mm-hmm. allowed us to figure out which side of the city they were facing what they were facing what these hundreds of wagons were and we figured out what they were doing. Wow. What they were, what project they were on their Ugh. way to do, who it was. We even think we identified one or two of the people in the picture from like a yeah. hundred yards back. Like, and there's this moment I mean, where you're like, Oh my That's oh why my God. we do history. Oh my God. And it's just this moment where you're like, uh-huh. this can't, I can't have gotten it. And this moment of like disbelief. And if, even if it's something small, uh-huh. like just figuring out a picture for some private citizen to yeah. like, that moment of wait, I, no, I can't I totally, be right I totally get it and that's what makes history like so rewarding. It's being a detective because it literally is and I will to the day that I die, I will say that history is a science. yes, because it totally is yes. and in fact, I think it's harder than a lot of scientists because we have to do shit like that. Mm-hmm. We have to sit down and analyze every single little we can't go back and ask these people, yeah, we only have what we have. We're starting from scratch and sometimes. we can't go out and get new data like mm-hmm. scientists can. Yeah. And that to me is like, people put off history. They're like, oh, it's whatever. You know, it's something my coach taught me. Yeah. And they it's, well, and it's so I, much I more than that. I tell people what I do. And I yeah. told my mom about that. And she's like, I don't think you understand how upset I am that I just never realized that was history. Yeah. That I couldn't have done and that. And a lot of people, a lot of people don't realize that. And mm-hmm. that's what makes it, ugh. That's yep. why we're sitting here today, isn't it, Kat? Yep. Yep. Oh, man. Anyway, so we had one. This guy, Shempolyon, had that moment. The moment. moment. Like. He was having a hot girl summer. He He nailed it. And as far as I think, like, we don't have a full translation of the hieroglyphic language. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't think we do. Yeah. And. Uh, Last I heard. The last I heard, we don't have a full. But this is the most they've had since the fourth century. So this is a breakthrough of, like, the millennia. And. He did it, and I just can't emphasize yeah. enough. And then he goes to Europe, and he becomes the first human in centuries to be able to walk through those what ruins and read what's on the walls. Like I just can't imagine what it must have been like to be to be him and to do that. Yeah, well, and, it's literally we are talking about weird flexes today: show off Mussolini or exploded bunker, right? <laughs> retranslate a dead language. Like I just that is. Phenomenal, and it's you know just by chance. And that top part of the Rosetta Stone is cut off, and who knows what that could unlock if we ever find that? Yeah, well, this one is saying that we have a basic alphabetic understanding, but there and several words through the Rosetta Stone. But overall, yeah. while we have a really good understanding of hieroglyphics. Well, we don't have the total picture, mm-hmm. yeah. That in that you know, and we're Even though we have a pretty good grasp, there's still a lot of assumptions in that. Yeah. They're probably most likely true assumptions, but we could totally be wrong. And then if we ever... that's the risk you run. Yeah. So, yeah. And so that is the story of the discovery of the Rosetta Stone. I love it. And I do need to take... Because we're museum people, we have to talk about the museum stuff connected to the Rosetta Stone. As we should, because it's a huge problem. That's a big part of the story, and I don't think we should take it lightly. No. So, as I mentioned before, the Rosetta Stone was taken control of by the British. And once they got a hold of it, they quite literally never went to let it go. Yeah. They let it go once for a year to be to be put on display in 1972 by France. They didn't even let Egypt display it. They just nope. gave it back to France. Yep, because there's this idea that oh, they're, this is their whole reasoning behind it. Why they think they deserve to have the Rosetta Stone. Let's see if this is an actual reasoning. I don't think it is. Okay. They claim that because Thomas Young was the first to translate no. anything off the tablet. No. That they have a right to it. That's bullshit. It's bullshit because he didn't even really technically... Like, yeah, technically he translated it, but he didn't do he anything. He guessed. If, we, if he had been the only one to look at that, they would have never unlocked hieroglyphics. No. Like... It was this French guy. If anyone, if anyone, oh, first of all, it's Egypt that should have it. If anyone else, it should be France. If we're operating no. off of that, the importance. Because th- and to them, they were like, oh, in Egypt, it would have just been a stone. But Britain turned it into a great national no. world heritage monument. That's like the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. If someone was like, actually, France gave it to us. So like. Mm-hmm. you know it's theirs now yeah. america would be like it's been here it's ours yeah. <laughs> it's a symbol of our country uh-huh. which that's the rosetta stone for egypt like and this it doesn't thing is matter a huge... who found it or translated I it i know i know like i said egypt had, had it point blank period But if that argument was going to be made, it should have been made by the French. By the French, yeah. Not by the English. They didn't do much of anything. No. Like, (laughs) all they did was let... They didn't even freaking find it. No. They They just took took it from someone in some, like, treaty (laughs) between the countries. Like uh, It's that whole BS thing about the... About, like, King Tut's tomb and everything as well. Like, all of the pyramids that basically got raided and, like yep What's the word i'm looking for um desecrated, desecrated yeah like mm-hmm. that's not okay yeah so to his credit and i do think that wouldn't have been a bad idea the guy champignon did wanted to create he wanted to create a museum in egypt to hold all of these artifacts that they're discovering mm-hmm. and that he's now able to translate and all of this stuff he wanted a museum in egypt pretty progressive which the is time. what they have now now they have it yeah Because they just had that mm-hmm. huge ceremony where they brought all yeah. of the pharaohs and stuff back yeah um it, but it's probably less about egypt having their own stuff and more about keeping them away from the british but either oh. way as long as egypt could have kept stuff i would have been in favor for yeah. it you know I'm then we you wouldn't might... have to argue about it yeah. In 2021. I'm realizing that my Statue of Liberty thing doesn't make as much sense in comparison. But like, I know it's meant. obviously yeah. theirs. It's obviously theirs. It's like a symbol of national heritage. Yeah. If I and make a brownie and someone steals my brownie and puts icing on it, and they're like, I made the brownie. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You just exactly. sat something else go. on top, That's top of it. There you That's a great metaphor. Thank you. Yeah. I was hungry. Yeah. I was <laughs> it's <laughs> okay. We're almost going to go get dinner. Yeah. I'll be done in a minute. <laughs> no, you're good. Don't rush. Um, <laughs> I just, I just so, uh, as I said... Even though his motivations for wanting a museum in Egypt were kind of weird, if Champollion did get his and their wish and there was a museum in Egypt, we wouldn't have to be dealing with as many repatriating issues as we're yeah. having today. But of course, as we <laughs> we all know, the British are notorious for <laughs> their museum. Shit. all those memes like. Never, it's like, never try to pick an alligator up by the tail. Never ask the British what's actually in the (laughs) museum. Yeah, literally. Um, So as I said before, the stone has only left England once and has only (gasps) left the British Museum once in 1972 when it was allowed to be displayed in France for only a year. And then it was taken back. How are, the, how are, like, the collections people and the curators there okay with it? Like, I, I, I know. If I was working there, no mm-hmm. matter how high priority of an item, you could literally be like, have Abraham Lincoln's top hat. Mm-hmm. They, they could tell our tiny museum that, and it would be the gold gem of our collection. But it, A, doesn't fit our mission, which is a yeah. huge thing. And, B, it serves its purpose in the Smithsonian yep. much better than any yeah. than it could well, here. Well, this is how. Um, so, in 2003, Egypt formally asked for it back. But were denied. And they were denied not only, they were not only said no, there was a coalition of basically every major museum in the world. I'm talking the Louvre, I'm um, the British Museum, Museums in America. Every major museum in a world said no. And because they what? all decided collectively that this was a world heritage object and belonged in England. Which again is BS. You can have world heritage yeah. objects in, With, in the whole world. Yeah. It's a world. World heritage. Yeah. It World have to heritage be any- doesn't belong in one country. I just, if anything, it belongs in the country of origin. Uh, I can't believe that like <laughs> other major museums don't see the problem here. This is past NAGRA. That this better this is after. No, this like, better get overturned soon. I I will go ham. Mm. I will drop my entire graduate career and just go yeah. stand outside the museum. So and, you're like, about to get more pissed off, right? Oh no so in order to appease them they sent a replica of it because which is yeah it's embarrassing you keep the replica yeah it's in the real thing where you like guys this is embarrassing um and in 2012 i believe it was they uh, egypt again asked just for the ability to display it for three weeks for the grand opening of their grand Egyptian oh, museum. Oh God, I'm gonna hate this excuse. It's probably about and they transport said no, safety. and it was about transport safety. Ugh! Oh! And I and that's the last like official no. Um, because I was curious, I looked it up, and I found an article that in 2020, an expert at the museum doubted that they will ever get the stone back to Egypt. If they can literally be transporting the bog it's a freaking body, rock, they nothing's found, gonna happen to well, it. Well, they literally transported the bog body yeah. over, like I think it was a Aztec woman that they found or something, and they like transported this perfectly humidified and refrigerated yeah. body thousands of miles. Again, it's a freaking rock. What the hell is gonna happen to it? Like you can all, like you can pack even, that if, the boat, you even can if the boat of it. sinks, you can go down to the bottom of the ocean and pick it back up. It's a rock nothing's gonna happen to it i'm i'm disgusted that the museum community even in 2003 would back that i know that's i know not okay yep and yeah i hope that with their new museum opening that that shit doesn't stand anymore i know and i think we're having i wanted to look up a more recent date than the 2012 Mm um denial because I was like, the world has changed a lot between 2012 and now, yeah. especially related to museum stuff and everything. Mm-hmm. So I was like hoping maybe for that, I would at least find an article where they were in talks yeah. about no. at least having a shared, right, you know, owner like a year on, a year off in mm-hmm. each country. But no, all I got was That's that bullshit. it was likely to never return to Egypt. And I just think... That's so sad. Uh, That's again, if you're going to call something a world heritage object, why does it need to be in England? Yeah why i mean that just gives more power to Herita- the people who already you know it's a world heritage site freaking kyoto they're not gonna uplift the whole city and send it over to britain no, no. <laughs> like no uh so it's just incredibly frustrating and that is the story of the rosetta stone to today you got me salty before we go eat <sighs> yeah sorry about that um at dinner they'll ask me about um repatriation of a painting i have a story for you oh okay i'm excited to hear it yeah it's, it's, it's more funny than it's not actually a repatriation <sighs> issue okay, well, it's that's not good. a controversial thing at all it's that's funny. good um i also wanted to note that i did check my phone a minute ago to see and i was correct it is goebbels um mm. and his family gotcha. he and his wife he was the propaganda secretary but okay, i was wrong I did about, hear about the that, cause children. that name sounds familiar yeah magda yeah. goebbels um uh-huh. and I was wrong. They didn't kill all seven children. One of her older sons from previous marriage was at, oh, at a prisoner of war at the time. There oh. were six younger oh. ones, like children, children, one boy and five girls. There were six that ended up dying when they committed suicide. The oh. other one was prisoner of war. So got that wrong. Six died. There were seven children, though. Yeah. Yikes. But yeah. Rough. Anyway, well, on that happy note, yeah. thank you all for sticking around. We uh-huh. hope it was a good episode. Yes. Um, be sure if you have anything to say about the Rosetta Stone, about mm-hmm. Operation Valkyrie, about how you feel about Tom Cruise and Scientology, <laughs> <laughs> let us know. Um, our Twitter is uh, t- <laughs> at T-I-N-A-H-L podcast. Podcast. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 T I N A H L Podcast. That's our. I don't know computer. why my brain just short circuited. Okay, I put you on the spot. I was like, this is gonna freak cat out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and our email is this is not a history lecture at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Please remember to rate us on Apple podcast Every review we get is one step closer to getting the Rosetta Stone back in Europe. Yes. One more negative thought I send to the British Museum. yes let's send them all the negative vibes. We're gonna they manifest this, guys. Yeah. <laughs> the collective power of the ten people who listen to our podcast are gonna get the Rosetta stone back to egypt anyway thank you so much for sticking around in the meantime learn some history and we will talk to you again next tuesday and remember this was not a history lecture Bye. bye